what we're engaged in, in our practice of meditation, is awakening. It's a process of awakening, waking up. And in waking up, there is the opening to all experience, opening up to all of our experience, not open to some and negating others, but open to it all, exploring and awake to the entire experience of the body and of the mind. So we bring ourselves into contact with experience. This is what mindfulness basically is, is an intimacy or a contact, a familiarity with what it is that's happening in the present moment, right here and right now, what is going on. So it's contact, it's being with experience. Out of this contact, being close enough to our experience, understanding can arise, transformative understanding can arise. If we're close enough, if we're too far away, it's all conceptual. We need to get up close to experience so that a deep kind of understanding can arise, not just an intellectual knowingness, but an understanding that has the possibility of transforming our lives. So it's contact, mindfulness, understanding arising out of the contact. Now when we open up to experience, what we notice is the experiences of pleasure and the experiences of pain, oftentimes rather vividly, vivid experience of both pleasure and pain. And what do we see when we look at pleasure and look at pain? We might notice that a lot of our energy goes towards trying to get more pleasure, trying to pursue pleasure, and the attempt to avoid pain, the attempt to move away from pain. So we might see this movement in the mind, this movement towards pleasurable experience, and this movement away from unpleasant experiences. Wanting to have and wanting to get rid of. In the experience of pleasure, what is pleasure? When we look we can see that it has to do with contact between a sense organ and an object. So for instance, there's the contact between the eye and a sight. And then there can be a feeling of pleasure in that sight. Or there can be a pleasant bodily sensation. Contact between the body and a sensation and a feeling. So it's this contact. When we look at pleasure and examine it to see what it is, 
look at it closely, we see that pleasure is getting what we want. It's getting what we want when and how we want it. It's hearing something that we want to hear. There's a sound and we want to hear the sound, and so there's a feeling of pleasure. Someone compliments us, and there's a feeling of pleasure. Someone does something that we approve of, and there's a feeling of pleasure. We go outside, and the sun is shining instead of the rain coming down, and there's a feeling of pleasure. We taste something, and it tastes good, and pleasure arises. We notice pleasure from that experience. When we look at, at this experience carefully and with openness, we, when we look at what pleasure is, what we find is that it's not a problem to have a pleasant <coughs> sensation or a pleasant thought or a pleasant sound, but that there's a catch to it. There's a certain catch to pleasure. And the catch to pleasure is that it doesn't last. It's transient and that we can't control it. We can't make it last. We can't make it do what we want it to do. And unfortunately, it can't be accumul accumulated. We can see while we're here that no matter how many pleasant experiences we may have had in our life, when you're experiencing some difficulty, it doesn't matter. You know, It's not as if it matters that there's been a whole lot of pleasure in one's past life. It's, it's the last thing that matters when there's some difficulty going on. So it can't, unfortunately, be accumulated. I say unfortunately, I certainly have tried, and um, it doesn't work. And the other thing about pleasure is that if we try to make it last, if we do think that it can last, and if we try to make it last, it actually turns painful. And a good example of this is food. Um, we can eat something, and it can be a very pleasant feeling, very pleasant taste, and we can really enjoy it. And then if we keep on eating the same thing, eventually there'll be a feeling of fullness. And if we keep going past that, still just enjoying the taste, there'll be the experience of indigestion. And if we keep going on past that, you know, it actually will cause physical problems in the body, as well as probably a lot of judgment in the mind. The same thing with a physical sensation, um, just, just the being touched by someone. If there's the stroking of the body, and it's very pleasant, it's very nice to be touched. And nothing wrong with it, wonderful, absolutely, you know, very, very nice sensation. And we can see that if it continued, it would probably get a little bit annoying. You know, if it went on too long, you would probably start feeling a little annoyed. If it went on even longer, we would probably begin to feel a little irritated. You know, stop stroking me already. And then if it went on even longer than that, beyond the point of irritation, actually it would become quite painful. It would be a painful experience. Started in pleasure turns into pain. 
So these are some of the catches in pleasure. Not a problem in and of itself, just with some limitations that need to be recognized. It also can't be depended on. Pleasure is not something that we can depend on. Just to look at praise and blame. We like being praised, and we don't like being blamed. And we can't count on being praised all the time. We can't count on escaping from blame, no matter who we are. Sometimes, when this is said, one might think to oneself, yes, well, that's true for me. You know, I get a lot of both, or maybe I get a lot more blame than I think I deserve. But there certainly are people in this world who don't get any blame. You know, there are definitely people in this world who do not get blamed at all. And when we look very carefully, we see that this is universal and no one is excluded from experiencing blame. We might look at the example of the Dalai Lama. Maybe all of us here feel that the Dalai Lama is a hero and um, feel very affectionate and would never think of blaming the Dalai Lama. What could you think of blaming him for? And yet there's a whole nation that blames him. You know, all of China doesn't really have a good feeling about the Dalai Lama at all. Or you might think of Mother Teresa, whom um, maybe we feel a great deal of fondness for. And there are a lot of people who don't feel very good about Mother Teresa because of some of her views about abortion really are quite, quite condemning of her. So blame, you know, she gets enormous praise in this world, and she also gets blamed. The Dalai Lama, enormous praise, enormous love from people, and also blame, blame also. I'm saying this about these two people because um, what's being spoken about are universal laws. The Dharma is something that's universal, that includes all of us and everything. So if you can find one person where there's an exception, it doesn't hold up. Um, it's something that has to apply to everything. Because it doesn't have to do with belief. It has to do with discovering laws in the universe, ways in the universe, principles in the universe. So it's important to, to recognize that no one is excluded, even from, play, from praise and from blame. There can be a sense of relief when we get what we want for a brief moment. Sometimes there can be a feeling of relief from that. Um, long time ago, I took care of an older woman. And um, she happened to have the resources to get a lot of what she wanted. She had um, perhaps um, a dressmaker and a masseuse and three doctors, and someone to walk the dog, who would just come over and walk the dog. And she had me, and she had several other people like me to help her in various ways. And it was quite, I, I cared very much for her, and I had a very good relationship with her. But it was quite painful to watch the wanting mind the reaching out and the grasping and actually getting, maybe some of us do, maybe some of us don't get what we want. In this situation, in terms of objects, not in terms of love, but 
in terms of objects, in a material sense, she did get a lot of what she wanted. And so there would be this grand kind of rushing around to get something like uh, uh, odd kinds of things like, um, you know, asparagus for dinner or calling up an old friend of hers from California that she hadn't seen in 25 years. And all of us, all this whole group of people, you know, the doctors and the masseuse and the dog walker and me and, you know, all of us together trying to get her what she wanted. And eventually she would get it. She would get like the dog collar for the dog or she would get the person in California or um, she would get the masseuse on the exact right day, the exact right time or the exact right haircut or whatever it was. She would get it. And you could see, we, we would all, everyone would feel relieved for a moment. There would just be a sigh of relief among the 10 of us who were involved in this. <laughs> you know, we would just breathe easily. And she would smile and she'd breathe easily. And there would be rest for maybe about 10 minutes, usually. <laughs> and then you could see it would start up again slowly, slowly, slowly. This momentum would begin again searching and restlessness and yeah and it was all clear i mean it was it was quite it was funny but it was also quite painful because you could see that it was coming out of suffering very clearly but to see it so in such an extreme way was very helpful for me to see my own mind i'm sure that all of us here can relate to some degree of what i'm saying i mean this is an extreme case but i'm sure that we can all understand a little bit of our own mind through this this example. So we can see that just merely experiencing pleasure is not a solution to our dilemma. It's not a solution to the human dilemma. Experiencing more pleasure or experiencing more varieties of pleasure. We can see that pleasure in and of itself is not the problem. Not at all. It's just life. It's in nature. And pleasure arises through the sense organs. And it's certainly not a solution to try to get rid of the sense organs. There's no, no reason for that. So pleasure is not any kind of a problem in and of itself. It is just the way things are. We have a body, we have a mind, there will be pleasure as part of our experience. It's what we make out of pleasure that makes it into a problem. We don't, we don't need to deny it or repress it or avoid it or anything like that. It's really coming into a different relationship with it. It's coming into a right relationship with pleasure. Nisargardhatta expressed this yearning, this yearning for pleasure as the desire for pleasure is the reflection of the timeless harmony within. So the desire for pleasure is not a problem. It's reflecting something. It's an echo of something. It's saying, yes, fulfillment is possible. Joy is possible. And it's not possible through the superficiality of pleasure. But it doesn't mean it's not pointing to something deeper. It's, it's a calling in a certain way. That's why we don't want to deny it or think that there's anything wrong with it or push it away or not open up to pleasure itself.
Where we can see that the problem is, is in the clinging, is in the holding on, is in the trying to make the experience of pleasure into something that it's not, wanting to make it last, and in some way expecting security, expecting safety, expecting lasting happiness from what is just an experience. We look for enduring satisfaction in things and in people, through relationships, in situations, in (coughs) sensations, in ideas. We look for an enduring satisfaction. We can have the best possible fantasy, and I'm sure that all of us may have already experienced this over this weekend. We can have the best possible fantasy, and we're always going to wake up. We're always going to come out of it, and here we are again. So it's always going to be a disappointment. Because the nature of pleasure is that it has limitations. It has a limited life. And the clinging is always a problem. The clinging is always suffering. And again, this is not a belief. It's the way things are. It's something that we find out for ourselves as we open and explore it as it is. This is by Ajahn Chah. Our practice here is not to grasp anything, not to cling to anything, Ajahn Chah told a new monk. But isn't it necessary to hold on to things sometimes, the monk protested? With the hands, yes, but not with the heart, the teacher replied. When the heart grasps what is painful, it is like being bitten by a snake. And when, through desire, it grasps what is pleasant, It is just grasping the tail of the snake. It only takes a little while longer for the head of the snake to come around and bite you. (laughs) Seeing the limitation of the experience of pleasure removes the fever of clinging from it. It removes the desperate grasping, the trying to make something out of it that it isn't. It removes the ache or the itchiness or the stickiness from it when we're mindful of pleasure, when we're not lost in it, but when we're mindful and awake and aware of this experience. In this culture, there is an enormous amount of despair and feeling of meaninglessness that people report, enormous amount of just feeling that one's life is not of value and has very little meaning to it. I think we're looking for meaning in Dharma practice. And perhaps some of this is that in this culture we're told this big untruth, this myth, that we'll find meaning through getting certain objects or being in certain relationships or experiencing pleasure, in pleasant sounds, perhaps, in pleasant ideas. So we get told that we can find pleasure, we can find satisfaction in a place where there's no way it can be found. It's not possible to find it. There was an advertisement that I saw the other day um, 
it was of a car and underneath the car it said too much of a good thing is a good thing and I thought this is just blatant <laughs> you know greed is one thing but this is this is double double dose of greed When people speak about being unhappy and of living a meaningless or empty life, I wonder if it is not because they have taken it for granted that the meaning of their life is to be found simply in some sort of emotional pleasure. If you decide that only this sort of happiness constitutes the meaning of your life, then it only follows that you are going to find a hollowness in what you do, for there is just no such thing as never-ending pleasure. That's by Uchiyami Roshi. I think the important thing in this quote is taken for granted. You know, I think we take for granted an awful lot of things. And our Dharma practice is not to take anything for granted. Our Dharma practice is to look at everything with new and fresh eyes, with a kind of innocence that goes quite beyond how we think things are or assume things to be. But a freshness in this moment to examine our experience and to find out for ourselves how things are, not based on what we're told, on what we think, on how things should be, but finding out for ourselves what is true, what is real. And when we look at pleasure we see that it isn't true, it can't be true, that it can endure. This realization leads us to look for joy where it can be found, because it is possible to find enormous joy and meaning in this life. Where we can find it, where we can fulfill this yearning that we have, our human yearning, is through practice, is through a deeper look into ourselves. Practice clearly isn't always comfortable, and it isn't often easy, and it may not be pleasant at times, or am I understating it? <laughs> It's often quite difficult. But as well as the experience of pleasure, which we do need to examine, we also need to examine pain, because this is also part of our experience as human beings. Just as pleasure needs to be looked at and examined, pain also needs to be looked at and examined. And it's not that we need to go looking for it, because life will give us enough situations. We don't have to conjure up pain for ourselves. But it's very interesting in the sitting practice to not move right away when there is the experience of pain in the body. It doesn't mean to be masochistic about it and grit your teeth and sit through all sorts of pain. But it does mean to not move mechanically to see if there's a possibility of meeting the pain, a very, very tender kind of 
softening into it, of very gently meeting and experiencing pain. Our tendency is so quickly to push it away and to avoid it and to hate it. And in not moving mechanically and not moving automatically, we can begin to see what pain really is. We can begin to come to the roots of it and to look and find out for ourselves, just as we need to find out what pleasure is because it's a part of life. Also, what is pain? And we may find that a great deal of our experience of pain is fear of experiencing particular sensations, is aversion, is a feeling of desperateness, of not wanting to feel certain sensations. And it's not as if this isn't healthy. I mean, it's certainly not healthy to want to feel pain. So I'm not suggesting that at all. But to slow things down, you know, to sit a little bit longer and to not automatically move when there is the experience of pain. So often in our life, we don't really, in our day-to-day life, we don't really examine pain because we move immediately when we feel it. So we don't get to come into much contact with it. And as I pointed out before, in the contact, understanding, deep transformative understanding can arise. And out of this transformation freedom, more space can open up. But if we don't, if we aren't willing to look at it at all, it's very difficult to move into this space that can be there. It's very difficult to find that which is underneath both pleasure and pain, that which is underneath the whole thing. So it's delicate. It's very delicate because we don't want to struggle and push and simply endure. But we do want to very, very gently examine that which is a part of life, that which none of us can avoid. At some point or another, none of us can avoid it. So why don't we do it now? Why don't we look at it as it is and see if we can come into a freer, different relationship with it, a more loving relationship with these sensations? You know, it's very interesting. I know some of you know this, but um, for those of you who don't, in deep states of practice, pleasure and pain are the same. There isn't the distinction. Um, it just breaks down into sensation, and it's sensations. But one isn't pushing anything away or trying to hold on to anything, and it's just sensation. Some weeks ago, there was a retreat at the center that I teach at, Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, and um, a new yogi was there, and she was experiencing an enormous amount of pain her first day a lot of pain. And um, the second day, she sat too, she came back. (laughs) She wasn't in this kind of situation where, you know, she had the choice to come back and she came back. And she was amazed by the end of the day that there was still pain and yet she was touching something that was underneath it. There was some sense of ease or of peace or of joy that was underneath the pain. And it wasn't as if the painful sensations had gone anywhere. It's not as if they had been eliminated or she'd gotten rid of them. 
It's that she was touching something that was underneath. And that's what we can touch in practice. And to whatever depth we can touch it, it's, it's worth it. Because it grows, it's nourished. We gain more faith and more willingness to be with our experience as it is when we have more experience of this nourishing calm, this nourishing peace or joy, this underlying current of joy, underlying all experience. We find that pleasure and pain are found in sensations, and we find that joy and peace is found in awareness. Depth of practice is developed through developing a continuity of awareness through the experience of pleasure and through the experience of pain and learning from both. From Nisargadatta, all happiness comes from awareness. The more we are conscious, the deeper the joy. Acceptance of pain, non-resistance, courage, and endurance. These open deep and perennial sources of real happiness, true bliss. As we examine pleasure, as we examine pain, we can come to more and more of a realization of the limitations of the senses. And we no longer have to seek pleasure as an end in and of itself. As the attachment to pleasure is reduced, an inner space opens up, an immense, vast inner space opens up. Joy is a deep acceptance. It's a deep opening up to life. It's a passion for life. I have one more quote about this. This is again by Uchiyami Roshi. The way I experience the meaning and value of my life is by throwing all my passion for living into everything I do. I am afraid that if having pleasure were the purpose of my life, then three shots of whiskey a day would be it. This person is the head, or was the head of a monastery. Um, Someone asked him how he has fun, and he thought about it, he couldn't think of anything, and then he realized that he had three shots of whiskey a day to warm his feet up. So he's talking about his relationship to these three shots of whiskey a day. And if I were to take these three shots of whiskey that seriously, how could I help but think that I live anything but a pretty wretched existence? It is vital here when talking about the meaning of life to clearly distinguish between emotional feelings of pleasure and devoting oneself to that passion for life. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing here. And that's what we're doing in our Dharma practice, is devoting ourselves to that passion for life that is unconditioned, that doesn't depend on conditions. That is independent of sense contact, where there's joy without a sense object. 
This happens when we're not looking for results. It happens when there isn't an agenda. It happens when we let go, which is what acceptance is. Do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect any praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace and freedom. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. Let's um, sit for just a minute or two. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in contentment. May all beings know joy.